The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter number 23. You say, Pastor, I've never seen somebody so excited about teaching from Leviticus. All right. You've had your, your, your Bible reading, right? You try to go through your guide, and then you get to some, you know, Genesis is exciting, isn't it? Boy, you got all those Bible characters, and, and then you get to Exodus. Oh, you still got some narrative, and, and there's action and activity. And then you get to Leviticus, and you just, you know, woo. Uh, wow, this is something. But can I tell you that uh, buried in these passages in the Bible are some of the richest nuggets that God has for us and for God's people of Israel and for us as the people of God today. I don't know if uh, how many in this room have actually gone through an in-depth study of the Feast of Leviticus 23. If you have, this will be review. If you haven't, uh, I, I pray that this will just set you on fire for the Lord. You say, Pastor... You're really building this up. I, I, I really know I am, but I think it'll be worth it as uh, we give ourselves to learning about these feasts. Now, in Leviticus chapter number 23, I'm going to go ahead and just read a few verses this morning just so that you have an idea of our schedule. Today, we're just introducing the series, and then we're going to begin looking at each and every one of the individual feasts, Lord willing, beginning next Sunday. And I, I do think it's worth taking an entire Sunday morning to give an ap, a, 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 a thorough introduction because uh, Leviticus chapter number 23 is worthy of taking the time to look at the big picture of the chapter. So let me begin by reading, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord. Somebody help me. When it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what's the word in the Hebrew? All right, it's Jehovah. All right, Jehovah. Lord, he's the Lord. And this is God that's speaking. It's speaking to God's people. It's one of the things in you, when you have a King James Bible, you see that. That'll help you. Uh, verse number 6. Six days... Verse 6. I'm sorry. Verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Even these are my feasts. Verse 3. Six days shall... Work be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Unto the Lord seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. And in the first day ye shall have a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is a holy convocation. 
ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye uh, become into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord. Now understand, this is the very beginning uh, of the harvest. They are to take the first fruits, the very very best, the first, and they're to bring it to the priest, a symbol of bringing it to the Lord, and there that priest is going to wave it before God as an offering of the people, recognizing that all the bounty that they receive come from the Lord. And they're giving God back that which is the first part. Listen, that's a basic principle in the Christian life, first fruits. The first fruit I give back to God. It belongs to him. It's not me. Uh, and the promise that God makes is that he's going to provide uh, the rest, the harvest. The Bible goes on and says, verse number 12, And ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and a he lamb without blemish of the first year for the burnt offering unto the Lord. And we go on into some of the other uh, offerings. Let's bow in prayer, and we're going to jump right into our notes here this morning. Father, thank you for each one that's here. And God, we're just excited about being in your house in 2018. We're excited about the opportunity to grow and to learn. Lord, I pray that this introduction today would be a real help to us. And uh, Lord, just cause us to see that you're a big God. And uh, Lord, that you know the beginning from the end. Thank you, Lord, for just your word and the power of it. Lord, how you give it to us as your people. Help us now to hear it and do it. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let me begin by uh, describing for us here today uh, these special feasts and what God is desiring to do. These are types. And what's so marvelous about these seven uh, Feast of the Lord is their types concerning the Lord Jesus, the Messiah's work in the world. Now, I want you to get this. Focus in. There are four feasts that God gives to God's people in the springtime, three feasts in the fall time, and they're separated by approximately three months of a harvest season. The first four of these feasts all picture Jesus Christ in his finished work. Every one of them gives us God's calendar. It actually tells us uh, years, decades, uh, millennia before Jesus even came exactly why Jesus would come and what role he would fulfill. And we'll begin with the Passover uh, next Sunday, and that Passover is the glorious picture of two things. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 12 and just dive into it, but the two things that happened there in Exodus chapter 12 is that there was a choosing of a lamb, there was four days of watching that lamb to make sure it was a perfect lamb, and then there was the taking the life of that lamb, taking the blood of that lamb, and putting it on the doorpost and the top uh, 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 headboard there over, over the door as a, a wonderful picture of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. 
and the four days prior, including uh, his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, his being presented to the world as the perfect one, as they sing, Hosanna, he's the king. And even when they presented him before Pilate, what did Pilate have to say? I find what? No fault in this man. Do you know that that happened exactly when they were looking over that lamb and they were inspecting it and they were looking for blemishes, they were looking for broken bones, they were looking here for any blemish. It had to be a perfect lamb all through the life of Jesus Christ. He was the perfect lamb. He was observed by God. God said at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. Oh, the declaration of uh, the disciples, in him was no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. Perfect. They walked with him for those three and a half years, and their declaration through the epistles was, he was perfect. And then the declaration of the world, Pilate, also declared him to be perfect. Folks, what we see here in the feast is God working through each and every one of these feasts, giving us the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, past, and then the future as well. So, just in understanding here types and how God uses types, uh, I learned this little phrase a long time ago. When we study the Old Testament... Uh, we see the New Testament concealed. You might want to write that down. When you study the Old Testament, what you're studying is the New Testament concealed. You see, God gave His plan ahead of time. God shared it with the people of Israel. They just didn't get it. God was giving them through the feast the Messiah. This is who you're looking for. This is what He's going to accomplish and we see through those springtime feasts, God working in a marvelous way. So the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So when I'm studying the New Testament, guess what? It's all about the Scriptures. When you see the Scriptures mentioned, the Scriptures, they're talking about the Old Testament Scripture. Listen, Christians, if you don't study the Old Testament as well as study the New Testament, you're not getting everything God wants you to get. I know some Christians say, oh, that Old Testament stuff, that's not for us today. Really? I better understand the New Testament when I bathe myself in the Old Testament and I better uh, understand the Old Testament when I connect it to the reality of the New Testament. It's God's Word. God wrote it. And guess what? It works together. And so that's why we encourage folks to read through the whole Bible. So in, in, in looking here at these types, we realize that they were important to God. And these types... These seven feasts, again, are going to lay out, uh, starting at Calvary, you're going to have the resurrection represented in the feast. Uh, you're going to have the perfection in the unleavened bread. At Pentecost, you're going to have a picture of God empowering the church and Christ's work being done through the church. All that happens in the spring. Then three months of harvest, and then the very next Feast, would you believe it, is the Feast of the Trumpets. 
Boy, that gets me excited. Because I realize as a child of God, I'm living through these three months of harvest. It excites me as a child of God because I realize here that Jesus' work has already been finished. Uh, As I look at the Passover and I look at unleavened bread... And I look at the wave offering. By the way, the wave offering, that first fruits, Paul identified in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, as Jesus himself. He was the first fruits of those that raised from the dead. That, that offering was a picture of Jesus himself. Not only that he would die, he would be buried, but that he would rise again. As a believer, I need to know that. I need to know that God's plan uh, didn't just morph over time. It's been established. What, what, his plan has been constant. And the marvelous thing about uh, these feasts in Leviticus 23 is uh, they're in absolute chronic, uh, chronological order. They're right in the place that that historical event took place. Pentecost was 50 days prior. After Pentecost, they went to the harvest season. The beginning of the barley to the end of the barley. After that, the Feast of Trumpets, calling them all back together. You know what the church is waiting for? We're waiting for the trumpet. We're waiting for the end of the church age. We're waiting for the end of the harvest season. Why? Well, so that we can be snatched out of this place to be with the Lord forever. And God tucked all that away in Leviticus chapter number 23. Do you see, after the rapture, God's working with the Jewish nation here in this world. And we go on to the last feast, and they really give us a picture. Not only the rapture, but the return of Israel to the nation. We're going to look at that seven-year tribulation time. And then we're going to look at that feast of the tabernacles where God tabernacles again with man. You know, God used to walk with man in the garden, and then sin showed up. But do you know in the millennial kingdom, God is going to tabernacle again? It's wonderful. It's God's calendar. It allows us to see the big picture. And oh, that God would set our hearts on fire as we think of God's timetable and God's clock ticking. You say, Pastor, how long before the Feast of the Trumpets? I don't know. It could be today. You say, Pastor, how long before this next feast is realized? I'm going to tell you something. Just like God prophesied through these four feasts, exactly the coming of Jesus Christ, His life, His his death, His burial, His resurrection, His ascension, just as God prophetically gave all that to us in Leviticus 23, and it happened... So everything else that God says about what's coming in in our future is going to happen. You don't have to wonder, is there a rapture that's coming? Is there a tribulation that's coming? Is there a millennial kingdom that's coming? No, just like God said this was going to take place, the, the Passover and forward, God said this would also take place. So, again, the word feast. Neodym... Modim, in the Hebrew, it means an appointed time. You're going to find it 223 times, the Hebrew word for feast in the Word of God. The first time, you're going to find it in Genesis 1.14. As we look here at these feasts, 
I want us to understand that they are the feasts of the Lord. I want us to understand here that God uh, was desiring that these feasts would be a time where God's people would pull away from everything else and draw nigh to Him. This year, in 2018, my prayer is that our church will draw nigh to the Lord like we've never drawn nigh to the Lord before. Where we will just get close to our God. God always had a place for his people to come together. You know, after the wilderness wanderings, God established Shiloh as the place where God's people would gather. And they had an opportunity there at Shiloh to celebrate these seven feasts. Now, the Jewish people today have many other feasts as well. Maybe you hear here of uh, 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 Purim. Uh, that is, of course, dealing with uh, Esther and And instead of being annihilated as a people, God overturned Haman and his evil devices. So your Jewish friends, they'll be celebrating that in honor, and they'll read through the book of Esther. Uh, Maybe you have some friends here that celebrate Hanukkah. And uh, that, again, goes back to the times of the Maccabees, that silent period in our Bible, 400 silent years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And they celebrate Hanukkah because it's during that time that uh, through the times of the Maccabees that they were able to recapture uh, the city of Jerusalem and the temple and they celebrate uh, the rededication of uh, that temple. And, And yet in Shiloh we see they were commanded to come and to worship uh, in that place. And I just want to say this by way of introduction. Uh, Shiloh was not just a place in Scripture. Shiloh is a person in Scripture. Um, Would you go with me here to Genesis 49? Because I want us to connect the fact that these feasts, you say, have nothing to do with me. I'm not Jewish. I'm not commanded But if you see the big picture, it's not the fact that it's about a feast that I think is for the Jews. It's it's a Savior. It's Jesus Christ and His call to have us come near to Him. That's what this is all about. And in Genesis here, chapter number 49, again, we have Shiloh. Shiloh is a place where the tabernacle was set up in the wilderness. That's where, as they came into the new land over Jordan River, they established, they reset up the, the tent, the tabernacle, where they would worship God and they would come to celebrate these feasts. And, and uh, so we see that it is a, a, a person and a place, according to Genesis chapter uh, 49. I'm going to read verse number 10. The Bible says this The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver. From between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. You know what Shiloh was for the children of Israel? It's where the tabernacle was. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's where the presence of God was. And they were called out of their regular uh, year Three separate times, the, 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 the coming to, to, to meet together for these feasts. In the spring, there was two journeys that need to be made. Pentecost and then the first from Passover, unleavened bread. Uh, then in the fall, they would come back for the trumpet feast and uh, the Day of Atonement. 
So what we see here is we see that the, the bigger picture is that this gathering place for the feast is a person. It's Shiloh, till Shiloh come. God is saying, listen, the type is the tabernacle, but it's really Christ. He's Shiloh. We're not coming to church here for the church. We're coming to gather together for Christ. We're not here for just amusement or fellowship. We're here for the Lord. It's the Lord's church. It's an opportunity to worship Him. He's our focus. And and for Israel, the sad thing is, these feasts became something where it was no longer the focus on uh, God. You know what the focus became? On on themselves. And, And this introduction helps us to see a little bit of the, the bigger picture concerning what God was wanting to do. Uh, go back to me to, uh, with me, excuse me, to Genesis chapter 16 for just a moment. I'm sorry. Not Genesis, Deuteronomy 16. Deuteronomy chapter number 16. I'm going to read these next two verses. Follow along. Three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose. So first of all, it was Shiloh. That's where the the, the, uh, tent, the tabernacle was established. And then Jerusalem is where the, the, the temple would be built. That became a place, but it represented a person. And their love for God would be demonstrated three times a year when they would pull apart from everything else and they would come into the presence of God. And the Bible says three times in a year shall all thy males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which ye shall choose in the feast of unleavened bread and in the feast of weeks and in the feast of the tabernacles and they shall not appear before the Lord empty. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So there in the text we see in Deuteronomy, uh, really the purpose of these feasts. They represent the Lord. And we're coming here in worship of our God. And we ought to see our God in every one of these feasts because it's not a feast that that is glorifying a lamb, but it's glorifying the lamb of God that cometh to take away the sin of the world. And so in each of these feasts, the focus ought to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, not uh, on the ritual uh, itself. And in understanding the feast, we uh, come to understand God's timetable for the world. In understanding the feast, we understand what God is going to be doing through the history of the world. What's next? What time are we living in right now? What's already transpired? All of that is laid out here in the feasts that are presented to us in Deuteronomy chapter number 23. Now, why study them? Why do we want to take the time to go through an Old Testament chapter. Let me give you just a couple reasons as we begin. Uh, First of all, I want to say the word revelation. It reveals 
a little bit about our God. He's a God of order. Specifically, they were to do certain things in a certain way. And they were not to deviate from that. Can I tell you something this morning? God is a God of order. And he reveals a little bit of his own character. It's a revelation to the people of God that you have a big God. Your God is so big that he can know the beginning from the end. He's outside of time and space. When God looks at life one day with him, as is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, And so when God here gave Leviticus chapter 23 and God laid out the whole calendar of of time and uh, from, uh, from the Lord Jesus Christ right through his millennial reign, when God gave that to us, God allowed us to see a little bit of who he is, how big a God he is, how all knowing he is. There's nothing too big for God. There's nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that God can't do. And reading Leviticus 23 and looking at these seven feasts ought to draw our attention to the Lord and cause us here to rejoice here in Him. So we study because it reveals to us a little bit about our God, but also regulation. Not just revelation, but regulation. This is how God works. And this is important. God has a way that He wanted these feasts to be performed. Go back a couple chapters in Leviticus chapter 10. You have two priests, Nadab and Abihu. They are desiring to celebrate these feasts, but they come with something called strange fire. Can I tell you that God has a certain way that He wants things to be done? And it doesn't matter one lick about how we want it done. You know, the church today, I feel like, is going headlong into an area where it's all about personal taste for a justified end. Instead of just recognizing that, you know, God ought to be God. And God ought to be able to do what God wants to do. And if He has certain regulations in worship of Him... And folks, what right do I have to come up with my own kind of worship? I think the church is at a dangerous place today because they're dabbling here in areas of worship where it's man-centered instead of God-centered. Where the focus is on the people and what the people want instead of on God and what God wants. Listen, I'm so glad there are some of you that come and you say, you know, I really don't care about the music that much. You know, it's not my style or I don't care about this and I don't care about that, but we get the Bible. Folks, My prayer is that at Crown Point Baptist Church, if there's nothing else that you can say about this ministry, it's that the Word of God is going to be proclaimed, that Jesus Christ is going to be exalted, and that we understand that it's not our church, it's His church. And it's it's not up to our preferences and our tastes and our likes and our dislikes. Nadab and Abihu, they didn't have an option. It wasn't up to them to offer up a different kind of fire. God wasn't interested in what they thought would be an appropriate fire. And God judged them severely for it. Folks, we just got to get back to the Word of God and say, God, in your Word, allow us to see you and your plan and your process. And so God reveals a little bit of himself to us. He shows us here through regulation. He gives us an idea of how he wants worship to be done. 
And then we see also it reveals the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we mentioned, his first coming in the first four feasts, his second coming in the, the last three feasts or the fall time. All right? Well, let's write something down in your notes, all right? Uh, I'm, that, that was the introduction to the introduction, okay? So let's jump into the introduction. Number one, I want us to see a description of the feasts. Back to Leviticus, please. Chapter number 23, uh, a description of these feasts. And I'm going to go fairly quick, so you'll have to write these blanks in as fast as you can. Again, the word feast simply means an appointment. That God has an appointment with his people. And that God desires for his people to show up for the appointment that he has with him. And we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 16 that there's three times a year every male would have to stop everything they were doing. Stop the harvest. Stop uh, collecting. Stop with your cattle. Stop with your family. Stop with this. Stop with that. And you come and spend time at the feast of the Lord. A picture of the coming Messiah. And that's an admonition that all of us need to take to heart in this new year. That, folks, all through 2018, God is going to invite us to assemble. And God has an appointment for us. In the New Testament, the Bible says it's the first day of the week. And that God is allowing us as his people to come so that we can focus on him. So under a description of the feast, notice I've got A, B, and C. First of all, it is his gathering. It's his gathering, all right? Uh, back to Leviticus. As you look at chapter uh, number 23, I'm going to read just the first verse once again. And the Lord spake unto the Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them concerning the feasts of the Lord. Folks, these are the Lord's. These are his appointments. When I say feast, I'm saying appointments. That's what the word means in the Hebrew, God's appointment. Israel has an appointment with God. And I just wrote down this. What right do we Christians have to miss out on God's appointments? Now, I recognize there are certain situations beyond our control, illnesses, deaths, different things that come in. I'm not talking about that this morning. I'm talking about the fact when God's people can choose to be on a golf course rather than meet with their appointment with God. When they can go ahead and make it a day of shopping, where the Lord's day has ceased being the Lord's day, it's been a fun day, a holiday. Oh, listen, it's His day. That didn't change, whether the New Testament or Old Testament, it's still the Lord's day. And just like in the Old Testament, they gather together for one purpose, Hey, we're going to celebrate the feast. You know what they were celebrating? They were celebrating the coming king. They were celebrating the savior that would come. They were celebrating his death, his life, his burial, his resurrection. That's what they were celebrating in advance. And we, in this time, look back to that time and we celebrate the reality of his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. 
The Holy Spirit of God coming down and now through these months of harvest we are anticipating the trumpet sound and we're anxiously awaiting here for the Lord to call the reapers home. Our purpose of existence as a church, as Christians, is to be useful to God in the harvest. And these feasts show the way. So it's His gathering. Letter B, it's a holy gathering. Eleven times it says holy convocation, which means a holy assembly. You know what the theme of Leviticus is? It's holiness to the Lord. We find that verse, be ye, help me, be ye what? Holy, why? As I am what? Holy. You say, oh, that's Leviticus. That means it's Old Testament. Really, let's go to 1 Peter. Chapter number 1. Let me quote you a verse. Be ye holy as I am holy. Nothing's happened. Nothing's changed. There's some Christianity today that's so convoluted that we look at the Old Testament and says, none of that applies to me. And yet God reestablishes and reaffirms the Old Testament in the new. See, the Old Testament uh, conceals the New Testament. The New Testament reveals the Old Testament. And it's the same God, the same requirement for His people, the same heart that He has, the same heart that He wants His people to have is the same heart we ought to have this morning. Because we need to understand as we describe these feasts that it's His gathering, it's a holy gathering, but it's also a happy gathering. It's a, it's a time of rejoicing. It's a festival. It's a feast. You know, Exodus was all about God approaching mankind. It's a picture of man being lost in sin, slaves in Egypt. How they had no way to redeem themselves. And yet God came, and God delivered, and God brought them out. So the book of uh, Exodus here is that picture of God approaching man. You know what Leviticus is about? Man approaching God. Man coming into the presence of God. Man recognizing that, oh, yes, these feasts, they're, they're, they're festivals for Jewish people, but they're God's calendar that show us the person of Jesus Christ. And we all have an appointment. And God calls us nearer to himself. And God desires that we set everything else aside so that we might grow in our relationship with him. Oh, the importance of making sure that we are keeping our appointments with God. The New Testament has so many verses that deal with us in our approach to the Lord. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 25 says, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. God says, assemble. Assemble, that's, that's what this is. It's a holy assemble, assembly. And God says in the New Testament, don't you forsake that. You know, the Jewish people, they're saved. They're not under some of uh, the law. And yet God said, don't forsake the assembly. Don't forsake the, the call of God to come nigh unto God. 
And he says, you know, until I come, so much the more as you see the day of Christ approaching in that same chapter. Folks, I need to be more with God and more with God's people and drawing closer to Him. Why? Because Jesus could come at any moment. And we're desiring as a people of God to recognize it's His gathering, it's a holy gathering, but it needs to be a happy gathering as we rejoice in God and God's provision in the past and what God has for us in the future. Oh, may God help us. Number two, not only a description of the feast, but let's look at the design of the feast. Again, the design was to help us to draw near. Worship is not about us. Worship is all about the Lord. We've got plenty of people that want to play. How few want to pray. Our churches are filled with people that are all about their activities and their programs and their enjoyment and their fellowship and their kind of music and their kind of sermons. I read about a church that has a drive through Yeah, to, you know, the church today is just, we've just acquiesced to the world. We just ask this question, what does the world want? And let's give it to them. That's why in a lot of churches today, you've got to wear earmuffs. What does the world want? That's what we're going to give it to them. Can I tell you something? The church has nothing to do with the world. Jesus said, come out from among them and be a separate, saith the Lord. God says that there's no, there, there, there ought to be no connection here between the world and between His church. And yet the church today has allowed so much of the world to come into its very being. It's not about my music, my sermons, the kind of sermons I want to hear. We just need to hear from God and let Him teach us what He wants us to hear. See, the design of the feast is to help us to draw near. Letter A, they were personal. They are personal. It's unto the Lord. It's His feast. And these men that were called primarily, these special times, they came to present themselves and their offering before the Lord. It's personal. Listen, our worship here is personal. Oh, I know we're worshiping corporately, but our worship before God is personal. You know, there could be a service where on one side, You've got people that are just sleeping away. On the other side, you've got folks that are just listening and hanging on every word because they just want to get everything that God's Word is, 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 is moving in their heart and their life in that moment. It's personal. You'll get what you want to get. Now, I don't get anything out of church. Listen, it, it's about the Lord. It's about coming into His presence. It's about worshiping Him. Maybe you need to spend less time watching TV till midnight. Go to bed, get up, prepare your heart to receive the Word of God. Maybe, maybe that'll change something. Maybe we need to restructure our, 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 our life so that we are preparing to meet with the Lord. 
Listen, at these feasts, they had to come with certain things that had to be prepared ahead of time to bring with them. It's not just, oh, I wake up in the morning, oh, I guess I'll go to church. i got nothing else to do. There's a preparing of the heart to receive, to come into the presence of God, to receive what he has for us. So these feasts, the design of them was for us to draw near to the Lord personally. But they were prophetic as well. They were foreshadows of what God was going to do. You know, the sad thing, when you get to the New Testament, uh, these feasts of the Lord became the feasts of the Jews. It's interesting, just listening, watching the words. In Leviticus 23, over and over again, it says nothing about the feast of the Jews. It says everything about these are the feast of the Lord. Feast of the Lord. It's His. And yet, you can go through John, the Gospel of John. Wrote down several verses here from uh, that Gospel. Chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 7, verse 2. Where they're now referred to the feast of the Jews. And then God's scolding them because they're doing all kinds of things that they're adding and making it harder, more difficult. Oh, that the Lord would just help us to see that these feasts are a picture of Christ. And as God's people were to draw dear to the Lord, He's calling us near to Him. So it's personal, it's prophetic, but it's also practical. It's practical. In Leviticus, here we see that in that book it was given to that first generation. And yet, when you get to Deuteronomy, we read those verses in 16 and six, uh, chapter 16, verse 16 and 17. The Deuteronomy passage is the second giving of the law. So it's that new generation reminding them about these feasts and the fact that, listen, three times a year you're coming to where God has appointed there to be a place of worship. It was Shiloh at first. And then for the Jewish people it became Jerusalem. And then for the New Testament believers it becomes the local assembly. You know, that's what the word church is. Ecclesia called out assembly. New Testament, you're right here. This is our gathering to celebrate Jesus. This is our gathering. We are called to this solemn assembly. We're called to this holy convocation. We are called here to meet our Lord and draw nigh unto Him. And it is personal, and it is prophetical, but it is practical. In what ways? Number one, it's going to help us grow in our faith. It will help us grow in our faith. Back to that Deuteronomy 16 passage, we saw there uh, the people that were supposed to come, all the males, chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, what was the purpose they were to assemble. They were appointed to assemble there at the feast. What was the provision? Uh, they were to not come, Deuteronomy 16, 17, empty-handed. It's the one provision that God said. Listen, when you come to the feast, just don't come empty-handed. When you come to meet God, 
uh, come with a, uh, in the Old Testament, it was a basket of gratitude. It was a sign of worship. It was an opportunity here to say, God, I love you. Thank you. You've blessed me. Here I want to come and lay before you uh, the blessings that I've received from your hand. Oh, it's practical. It stretches our faith. Every time they had to come uh, there for those feast days, they had to come. But the Bible in verse 17 says, don't you come empty-handed. And all that ought to be our theme and our thought this year, 2018. Let's all of us prepare ahead of time so we don't come empty-handed. So that we see this as a part of worship. Folks, we, we don't have these ushers come and that offering plate passed and not connect that to the worship. Because it is worship. When you study worship in the Bible, everywhere you see it, you see it connected with giving. Genesis 22, Abraham turns to the young man. He's about to take Isaac out to, up to Mount Moriah, and he tells those men, we're going to go and worship. What was he going to do? He's going to sacrifice his son. Oh, you go through the Scripture. There, as the law was given, they were supposed to bring that fruit of gratitude to the Lord. And the Bible says that giving that a basket of gratitude was worship. When the Magi, the king, came from the east there to where uh, the Lord was as a young child in the house, I don't know if there were three. I don't know if there were 30. Uh, I do know they were there. And I do know that the Bible says they came in for one purpose, and that was to worship. But they didn't come empty-handed. They came with their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh. Listen, God desires for us as his people to make this practical. Let it grow our faith. As we're drawing nigh to God, God's going to teach us things this year that we're just going to have to, by faith, obey. It's practical to help us grow in our faith, to help us gather for fellowship. You see, that's one of the things that happened at these feasts, at these festivals. These families all got together. The fellowship of the saints. Acts chapter number 2 tells us, boy, after those 3,000 were saved, they continued in the breaking of bread and in fellowship. Koinonia. It's a part of this coming out from the world and and presenting ourselves to the Lord and recognizing that I've got an appointment with God this week. And I'm going to do everything in my power. Do you know when, when pastor goes on vacation, even last year, somebody remember, I, Jonathan on the way to college, we uh, drove and came back. Do you know on Sundays where we were, in the midst of our driving, we found a church? Why? Because whether I'm in Simi Valley or whether I'm in Missouri, Wherever I am, I have an appointment with my God. You say, well, you don't know anybody in those churches. It doesn't matter. I'm not coming for those people. I'm coming to meet with God. That's what church is about. That's what these feasts are all about. They're a wonderful picture of how, oh, we need to draw near to the Lord. And, and studying these feasts help us to grow in our faith. It helps us to gather for fellowship. And it also helps us to grow in faithfulness. You know, I'm sure early on in the, the life of uh, some of these Jewish people at this time, 
Uh, it was maybe at first a drudgery, but after a while it became something that was anticipated and something that they looked forward to. I hear from some folks, folks uh, that, Pastor, that's the highlight of my week is when I get to come on Sunday morning. I know it's, I know it's because your heart for the Lord. You want to come with God's people together to assemble together, the called out assembly, so that we can celebrate Christ in all of his splendor. It helps us to grow in our faithfulness. You know, throughout the whole scripture, uh, we see God is desiring for faithfulness in our life to be passed on generationally so that they also would have a heart to celebrate the Savior. And that's why I'm so thankful for grandpas and grandmas in this church that are leading the way. And I realize physically sometimes we're just knocked out. But, you know, when we get better, we're knocked out, but we're getting up again. And it's such a blessing to so many that are watching. It helps us grow in our faithfulness. So let's close it this morning with just, I'll just highlight number three, a division of the feasts. Just highlight the division. I'll just give you the two answers. Number one, you've got the spring feasts, and they're already highlighted in your notes, and the fall feasts. That's the division. As we study the spring feasts, we're going to study them all together because they're going to revolve around Jesus Christ as he was here on planet Earth. That's what all the spring feasts are. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ in the beginning of 2018 as our Passover next Sunday. That's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate the reality of Him coming and Him dying for our sins. And then we're going to work through all of those spring feasts that lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we're going to look at those fall feasts, the trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the tabernacle. And the last half of our study is all going to be prophetical. It's all going to be, what's next? What can we look forward to? You know, did you pull out your calendar this year, uh, as you got rid of the old one, any of you look through the months to see what you did last year? I did. You know, it's just, uh, it's just uh, something we mentally do. We would just review. Oh we, just, oh, we did that and that and that and that. That's awesome. And then you get the fresh calendar out. And uh, what are you doing? You're putting things on there that are yet what? Future. And you're anticipating those and you're preparing for those and you're getting ready for those. Listen, that's what this study's about. We get to look at the past and focus on Jesus and all that he's already done through these feasts and celebrate Christ. And then we get to pause in the middle and we get to focus here on the future where when the trumpet sounds, the dead shall be raised. Incorruptible. And we're going to focus on the rapture and we're going to focus on the return of Israel. And we're going to focus on that uh, seven-year tribulation and then the tabernacling uh, here on this planet, the millennial kingdom. It's a great study. I hope you want to be here for every single one of the services. And yet in the midst of these two studies, let's end with this. I want you to go to the book of Ruth. We just came out of Ruth. Would you go with me to chapter 2? Right at the book of Judges, I want you to see this in your Bible. So turn, if you would, 
Ruth. I bring this up because I, uh, I have opportunities in the year to go and teach and preach on church planting. Uh, years ago, I was up in Spokane, Washington, and the Lord led me to this passage to speak on churches and the opportunity we have to plant churches. And I was preaching with other men that day. It was a conference, and I was the last speaker before the keynote speaker. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I was a lot younger then and, 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 and probably would have said something today uh, that I probably uh, uh, shouldn't have said. Uh, but uh, I preached from this passage uh, one interpretation, many applications. And I was applying it to the harvest season that we're living in right now and some of these qualities of harvest workers, referring to church planters that were there. Well, I had the keynote speaker get up after me and just kind of right from the pulpit dress me down. I, I never had that happen before. And uh, he was from Georgia. And he said, well, bless God, we plant churches in Georgia a little different than other people do. We just split them. And then we planted a church. You know, I thought, well, that's a strange way to have a church planting ministry, you know, just split your church all the time. But then he kind of went into Ruth a little bit and just kind of chided me a little bit for talking about church planning from that particular text. And in my spirit, of course, I'm just, you know, embarrassed. And yet, years later, as I continued to study that passage, it was exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted said, whether I realized it or not. You say, Why? We're going to look at the last verse of Ruth chapter number 1. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of the barley harvest. You know when the beginning of the barley harvest is? Pentecost, empowering of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the church to go out and reach a multitude. The whole book of Ruth also lays down in type salvation, the Moabitess, the one that was undone, that by faith turns away from the land of Moab and now by faith goes to the house of bread, Bethlehem. And what's the first thing you find her doing? You find her in the harvest. And the whole chapter 2 finishes with this verse in verse 23. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and of the wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Chapter 1 of Ruth coming to her salvation coming to her Savior, the city of Bethlehem. What's her work? Well, her work was to be in the field. She was a field worker. And she labored until from the beginning to the end. And then at the end of the harvest, the Scripture says, there's now a wedding. 
rapture, God's people with the Lord, and then the marriage supper of the Lamb. The bride becomes the wife. Isn't God wonderful in God's book? And although I may have been preaching about a time uh, there in that harvest season about the need to go out and plant churches, God later on said, you know, that's exactly what I wanted you to say because that's exactly what you're supposed to do from the beginning of the harvest to the end. That's the job. You know, our job as a church is not done until the trumpet sounds. And it's all here in Leviticus. It's God's plan. If we would understand it, apply it, live it out, God will help us to draw to Him and it will also help us to impact our world as we need to impact our world. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.